Listener supported. WNYC Studios. From WNYC Studios, it's Brian Lehrer, a daily politics podcast. It's Tuesday, August 30th. So here's the challenge right now, or one way to look at it, for Attorney General Merrick Garland, as described by New York Times Justice Correspondent Katie Benner, who will join us in a minute. She writes, A decision to prosecute or to decline to prosecute has political implications that Mr. Garland cannot escape. Trump supporters have viewed any investigative steps around the former president as illegitimate attacks by a partisan Justice Department that is out to get him. Trump's detractors believe that any decision not to prosecute, no matter the evidence, would show that Mr. Trump is indeed above the law. So we'll talk to Katie Benner about that dilemma facing Garland in a minute. But only one of those sides seems to be threatening civil war if it doesn't go their way. Maybe you've heard by now this statement by Republican Senator Lindsey Graham talking the other day to former Republican Congressman Trey Gowdy. If there's a prosecution of Donald Trump for mishandling classified information after the Clinton debacle, which you presided over and did a hell of a good job, there'll be riots in the streets. Now, Senator Graham may argue he's just describing the situation, not threatening or condoning riots in the streets. But it's not just Democrats who might hear his words as a call to arms. We know that's how many of the January 6th rioters heard Donald Trump, right? Even as he carefully retained some plausible deniability in his provocative language. And a new YouGov poll from The Economist magazine finds a majority of people who describe themselves as strong Republicans, 54%, think a civil war is very or somewhat likely in the United States in the next 10 years. Only 40% of strong Democrats, which is high enough, predicted that compared to 54% of Republicans, strong Republicans. So Lindsey Graham must know how he will be taken among the most violence-prone Americans on his own side, right? So one consideration for Merrick Garland, though in theory prosecutors stay out of politics, is how much of a crime they think Donald Trump may have committed is worth how much in political and cultural consequences. With us now is New York Times Justice Department correspondent Katie Benner, her latest article on all this. Document inquiry poses unparalleled test for Justice Department. Katie, thanks for tackling the tough stuff, and thanks for coming on to share it with our listeners. Welcome back to WNYC. Thank you so much for having me. So let me start here. You you report prosecutors working for Attorney General Garland are nowhere near making a recommendation to him about whether to prosecute or not. And I've seen other reporting that also suggests this investigation is still in its early phases. But I think to a lot of our listeners, to a lot of the general public, it might feel closer to the end. Trump took some of the most classified kinds of information, and he took a lot of it. That seems demonstrated already. He resisted giving it back for all this time. Then he apparently lied about giving it all back, which sounds like obstruction of justice. And the large volume of classified material seized in the search seems to prove it. So whether or not that's worth bringing charges for, it feels like the investigation might be near the end when people watch or read or hear the news. Why is it not? 
Mm. So let's break down some of those elements one by one because you've made great points. I think first and foremost is the fact that the FBI is still gathering evidence. They did subpoena documents from Donald Trump. They asked for documents from Donald Trump. NARA requested them. And then they took the extraordinary step of actually going to his home in Florida to Mar-a-Lago to retrieve documents. It's not known whether or not they have all of the documents, first of all. And they haven't yet had time to go through everything they found to determine whether or not, um, you know, they, they, they believe that what was taken was not just marked highly classified, but really harmed U.S. national security interests in some way. And I'll get to that point in a second. So first of all, the investigation is still ongoing. Keep in mind, there are also more witnesses, perhaps, to interview, to try to bring context to bear as to why it took so many tries for the Justice Department to get this information. There is more video camera footage that they've requested. Who knows if they'll get it? You know, there are other investigative steps. So for starters, that is one reason why they're still in very early innings, despite the fact, as you described, the narrative coming to the public does seem very damning on its face. Interesting. Second of and, all, oh, go ahead. Mm-hmm. Sorry. No, no, go. I'm just saying, no, but no. then, second, second of, of all, all is, the, is the is the evidentiary piece, right? It's it, the documents will have very serious classified markings. Sorry, very top secret classified markings, and it's clear that they're considered within the national security community to be of grave importance. But keep in mind, and I think this is an example we'll probably touch on a lot in the Hillary Clinton investigation. She also had documents that had very, you know, that had classified markings and were considered within the intelligence community to be very secretive. However, some of those documents, some of those issues in the documents had already been widely reported by the New York Times, by the Washington Post. We'd put those very issues and the information contained in those documents on the front pages of our newspapers. So imagine being a federal prosecutor trying to prosecute Hillary Clinton for the crime of having that information and having to make the argument before a jury that doing so had harmed U.S. government interests and put people in danger. It's really hard to make that case once the press has already published those kinds of stories. So it would be a really hard case to win. And they will have to go through all of the classified information that Donald Trump had held on to, to try to run that analysis. Is this something that we can truly argue before a jury that but that the retention of this document actually put the United States of America in danger? The article describes one of the challenges for deciding whether to prosecute as a challenge of the credibility of the Justice Department if the national security threat presented by Trump's possession of the documents does not seem substantial enough to warrant a prosecution. And I think that's a really important point that isn't getting discussed very much. That is, Trump might have illegally kept all these documents and even illegally obstructed the government from even learning what documents he had. But unless he intended to give this classified information to enemies of the country, let's say, for nefarious purposes, maybe all he's guilty of is being a power-hungry narcissistic hoarder. <laughs> so it's kind well. of, in, in, in that telling, though, it's sort of no harm, no foul, right? The search brought the documents back, called the guy reckless, like Jim Comey called Hillary Clinton, and live on another day to fight battles worth fighting. So my question is, does your reporting give us any evidence yet of the Justice Department's assessment of the actual threat to national security or any actual damage done by Trump having these documents? 
You know, and that's an assessment that's still underway, and it's an assessment that the department probably won't be able to do just on its own. It will need to uh, reach out to the agencies that are that that own or generated the information. So, for example, whether it's the Pentagon or, you know, whether it's the CIA, wh- whomever it might be, and I'm just throwing those agencies out as hypotheticals. I don't want anybody to think that that's cer- most certainly mm-hmm. um, the agencies at hand, uh, you know, in question. But they'll have to actually talk to these folks and say, do you, f- you know, what do you feel is at risk here by having this not secured, not secured as it should as classified information should be. I think one really interesting example that we can talk about because we know that Donald Trump hung on to these and we know that they were considered very sensitive were the letters from that he received from you know, North Korean leader Kim Jong-un. They were not top secret, but they were certainly something that would be considered important, historic. And he didn't want to give those back and he wanted to wave them around. He wanted to show them to visitors. He wanted to sort of keep them as trophies. And you say to yourself, okay, well, is it a violation technically of the Presidential Records Act for him to have kept those? Absolutely. But are you going to bring somebody before a jury of you know, his peers to say he should be put in jail for wanting to, I'll use some of your mm-hmm. terms, not all of them, to mm-hmm. hoard, <laughs> to, to hoard them. Yes. And then, for example, if we look at a piece of potentially hypothetical piece of classified information, as in the Hillary Clinton case, she had classified very sensitive information about drone strikes, but those drone strikes had already been reported on extensively Mm. in the Mm -hmm. media. Do you put Hillary Clinton on the stand and say she endangered the United States when the Washington Post had already run that information or when the New York Times had already run that information in its pages? A really hard case. So again, that is the analysis they need to be able to do because if they do not find information that rises to the level of being able to say, yes, this really threatened the United States, that's going to be hard for a jury. And then the other complicating factor is that some classified information is so sensitive that it cannot even be presented to a jury. And so then how does the Justice Department mm. make the argument that Donald Trump risked national the national interest and security of the United States, put people in harm's way when it's really difficult to talk about some information publicly? Another dilemma for Merrick Garland. Based on your reporting... Do people you talk to have any leading theories about, or do you, about why Trump took so much classified material home and what he intended to do with it? I know something like the Kim Jong-un letter might be sort of a a trophy as you describe it, but there was all this other stuff. Um, Hundreds of pages. uh, uh, Hundreds of pages and, you know, reportedly including the names of... uh, spies and people who provided intelligence to the United States whose lives could be at risk if their names got out. Uh, But I'm having trouble finding any guests, no matter how many segments we do on this, who who have a really good theory about what he intended to do with that stuff and why he wanted so badly to keep it. Are you hearing anything? So I think part of the reason why you, me, and every other guest is having a hard time coming up with a theory is simply because it's impossible to really understand Donald Trump or to be in his head. I mean, he's just really, I think the person I know who does the best job of it is probably my colleague, Maggie Haberman. And if Maggie tells me that she isn't really quite sure why he would have done this, then I'm going to say that hmm. there's no way I could possibly <laughs> answer. But what I, but what we, what we do know is that he very much throughout his, in, his entire presidency, he wasn't really interested in information that was classified for security reason. He he didn't treat classified information as special. You know, we've reported incidents of him being bored by it or 
taking classified briefings and not taking appropriate security cautions, having private conversations at Mar-a-Lago in public places that shouldn't have happened. So he didn't really have a respect for classified information that we do know. And so clearly he wanted to keep things that sort of caught his interest and caught his attention, regardless of their classification marking. And we also know that he did not have a lot of respect for the rules and norms of the government. We'll take a break in a second and then take some uh, questions from our listeners. Our caller board is full, as probably doesn't surprise you on this topic. But wouldn't the National Archives have had copies of the things that Trump took and so they have it? Or conversely, if he made copies for himself, but the government still had the originals, would that be the same kind of potential violation? Well, that's sort of an interesting thing about Trump. There are a lot of stories of him um, ripping up papers, um, throwing them away, his aides having to scramble to scotch tape them back together. Maggie has reported that he also tried to flush pieces of documents down the toilet. The, 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 the thing is, is when you're the president, the papers that you create, including your own handwritten notes, those things which the archives might not have because handwritten notes wouldn't be on a server, still should be given to the archives and archived. And in fact, in one of its letters to, I believe, the House Oversight Committee, um, the National Archives described, I don't remember if it was a letter to the National, I don't remember if it was a letter to Congress or if it was in one of the more recent court filings. So don't quote me on that part. But the National Archives has described receiving information from Mar-a-Lago and opening up and finding, you know, papers not in folders, crumpled up, um, in really bad shape, and clearly they were they were flummoxed by this. So, you know, to to your to your point, there is some information the archives wouldn't have. Anything on a server, they would have immediately. Chad in Manhattan, you're on WNYC. Hi, Chad. Hi. Thanks for taking my call. Um, if anyone else had taken as much information and had lied about it as Trump had there would be a massive counterintelligence investigation. And the at least sort of presumption would be that they were going to shop it to foreign governments. Have you heard any indication that the FBI is carrying out that kind of counterintelligence investigation to see who Trump may have leaked it to or may continue to try to sell it to? Or do you think Trump is going to be treated with kid gloves as usual and not even investigated for that? Well, I think that in order to conduct the kind of counterintelligence investigation that you've referred to, and we don't know that that wouldn't happen, but I think in order for that to happen, the department first needs to know everything that they have, and they need to do an assessment with the intelligence community to see, to try to determine whether or not it would um, be terrible for the U.S. government if it were to, you know, fall into other hands, and they would need to find evidence, which is you know, keep in mind, they're conducting witness interviews, they're looking at security footage. They would also need to find evidence that Mr. Trump had ever attempted to do any of the things that you just described. Now, certainly, if in the course of their investigation, they find evidence that anybody, any of the people walking through Mar-a-Lago <laughs> who might have had access to this room mm. had tried to, for example, sell it, as as you propose, that would, of course, open up an investigation. But but the government doesn't go into an investigation, an inquiry, and say, well, we should open up a counterintelligence investigation just in case. They actually have to look at the evidence they have to see if it leads them hmm. to the conclusion that that kind of example 
had actually occurred. And we keep talking about the sensitivity of this classified material with names of spies and everything else. Mm -hmm. But there's also the issue of Trump's right as president to have declassified anything he wanted before leaving office. But I've seen reporting that whether or not the material is classified is actually irrelevant to the crimes the Justice Department told the court it's investigating. And to this day, I don't understand that. Is it clear to you if that's the case and why it would be irrelevant? So in in at least one of the statutes, and um, I'm not going to get the U.S. code number correct, so <laughs> in at least one of the statutes, the way that it's written is it doesn't refer ever to classified information, that term. It doesn't use classified information. It only speaks of information that speaks directly to the national security interests of the United States, to the safety of the United States, national security of the United States. And so in that way, you know, it's it doesn't need to be technically classified if the Justice Department can show that having that information out in the wild, unsecured, hurts the interests of the United States. Stefan in Linden, you're on WNYC. Hi, Stefan. Oh, good morning, Brian. How are you? Okay. What you got for us? Uh, so uh, my question may sound like obvious for some or stupid for others. So if I if I get caught or on taking a candy bar from the store, uh, nobody asks me for the intentions. I mean. The intent was to eat it, to give it to someone else, maybe to return to the store the next day. It's a shoplifting, so theft. So he took something which I think doesn't belong to him. Isn't easy to go with that charge, like theft? Mm. Easy, but Stefan, if he was the president of the United States, entitled to know all this classified information, is it the same as walking into a store and stealing something? Yes, but at the moment when he took the stuff, he wasn't the president of the United States. It was uh, he left on that you know uh, day after inauguration. So he wasn't the president at the moment when he took it. Uh, even if he was the president, that belongs to the people mm -hmm. of this country, not to him. I guess maybe I'm wrong. Stefan, thank you so much. Please call us again. Uh, and Katie, we're getting a good sampling of exactly the premise of your article, which is that if they do prosecute Trump, there's going to be a firestorm on one side from people who think he's being politically picked on. If they don't prosecute Trump, there's going to be a firestorm from the other side. Uh, maybe not as much potential violence, but still a lot of unhappiness, feeling like they're letting him off the hook because he's Donald Trump and they don't want trouble. Well, that's why it's imperative for the Justice Department to be able to fully explain its decision either way. So in the instance where it would indict Donald Trump, you know, the department will speak through its filings. It will, um, you know, speak through its court documents and lay out its strong case, should it have a strong case for doing so. And in the instance where it chooses not to indict Donald Trump. And, you know, one of the interesting things, it's the department's own filings that have put the possibility of things like obstruction of justice or violations of the Espionage Act into public view. If the department decides that it does not have the evidence necessary 
to charge those crimes or it doesn't feel that what Trump did or the, the documents, the you know security risk of the documents don't rise to a level that they find that they should charge that those crimes, then it will have to find some way, I think, now this is where I am willing to proffer an opinion, I think the department will have to find some way to explain to the public that decision. It's not something the Justice Department often does. They generally don't discuss declining to charge somebody. But in some cases where the public interest has been so great, they have made that step. And the most recent example I can think of is it for in Ferguson, you know, when um, Michael Brown had been shot, uh, the officer in question was being investigated. There were um, protests all over the country. There was violence. And when the department chose not to charge that officer because it decided the evidence it had did not rise to the level mm. of bringing charges against that mm. officer, it actually did put out a full report with an explanation. Katie Benner, New York Times, Justice Department correspondent. Thank you so much for all your reporting and giving us a lot of time today. Thanks. Thank you. Brian Lehrer, A Daily Politics Podcast, is an excerpt from my live daily radio show, The Brian Lehrer Show, on WNYC Radio, 10 a.m. to noon Eastern Time, if you want to listen live at WNYC.org. Thanks for listening today. Talk to you next time.